You know I'm right. The podcast that uncovers the origin stories of some of the biggest names in sports, entertainment, and media. Nick Durst here once again with the one and only Joe Calabrese. And Joe, I'm excited for our guest today. He joins a long line of great guests from the UK to make an appearance on this show. We're very excited to add him to the list. We are excited to add him to the list. Get to talk a little golf today, which is nice. Something that we don't do too, too often. Uh, so he is a broadcast and a broadcaster and a commentator uh, for the Golf Channel and NBC Sports. Uh, and also most well-known for being the co-host of The Big Break. Uh, so we would like to welcome Tom Abbott to the show. Tom, welcome. How are you? I'm well, yeah. Thank you for having me. It's great to be uh added to your illustrious list of guests i'm not sure i uh, rank pretty high on that list but uh, it's good to be with you you will soon <laughs> <laughs> so tom uh you grew up in the uk and you grew up in a suburb of london now i'm going to try to pronounce this correctly uh Cheem? yeah you got it that was good okay good job Joe. okay there you go uh i was i was between that and Cheem, and i wasn't totally sure but uh so yeah you grew up in shame uh so how was it like growing up in a suburb of london well i think when i was growing up i really didn't appreciate the fact that i was living so close to a, a major city because it was just normal that was where i grew up and when i was i was talking about this with somebody the other day when i was growing up i i was kind of intimidated by going into london i grew up about 12 to sort of 15 miles from the center of london and I wouldn't really go into town very often, even as a youngster, I didn't really go up into London very much, stayed in the, in the suburbs and around home. And so I was really quite intimidated. And it wasn't until I went to university and then, um, you know, started to really appreciate that I lived or grew up in this amazing city that, uh, that I spent more time in, you know, in London proper. But uh, yeah, it was a pretty, uh, pretty good uh, experience growing up. My parents actually still live in the house where I grew up. So whenever I go back home, you know, it feels, uh, feels very comfortable when I visit my parents. There you go, back to your roots where, you, where it all started. What age yeah. were you when you first started playing golf and, and what do you remember about that experience? Yeah, I, I think my dad told me that I just suddenly decided that I wanted to play golf and it just came out of nowhere really. And I was probably 10 or 11 when I started to play golf and one of my neighbors in the street where my parents lived, he also started playing golf at that time. And so we learned the game together and he, he became a very good player. He played on the European tour. He lost in the final of the British Amateur. He was, you know, one match away from playing in the Masters and, um, you know, finished fourth in a European tour event during his playing career. He, he doesn't play competitively on tour anymore. He plays a little bit, you know, here and there, but he's got a, He's got a real job now, but we we started playing the game together, and strangely, we start we joined a golf club that was like thirty minutes drive from where we lived, and there are much better golf courses closer. And I just don't know why <laughs> we started to play thirty minutes away, and I, it's like a mystery to me even now uh, that we, that we did that. But um, but it, you know, living in that part of uh, the UK was spoiled for really good golf. I think mostly when the, people think of 
Britain and, and the United Kingdom and Ireland, they think about going and playing links golf in Scotland and Ireland. But growing up around London, there's just a ton of great golf. So I was very lucky in that respect. Uh, what, what would you say to, to people who kind of paint the narrative of, well, golf is kind of a more of a upper class type of sport. It's very hard to get everybody involved in that as a kid, because in some aspects, I could definitely see that. I mean, it's 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 obviously expensive to, to get started. But what, how do you feel about that narrative that's painted around the game sometimes? Well, I think back in the UK, yeah, it does. It, that is certainly a narrative that the game struggles with. And it's disappointing because I don't think the game gets enough credit back in the UK because it's seen as a bit of an elitist game, which it really isn't. You know, it's, it's a very affordable game to play. Okay, you've got to have the equipment. But once you do that, you know, being a member of a golf club in, in the UK, certainly in certain parts, you know, up, up north, is not expensive at all. Um, you know, around London, obviously, it gets a bit more pricey, but it's nothing compared to what it is at a private club in the US. Uh, so I think it's a bit unfair. In the US, I think private golf, you know, private clubs are really, really, really good. And public golf isn't as good um, as it is in other parts of the world. Um, so I think, you know, I, I didn't grow up playing golf in, in America, so it's tough to say you know, what it's like to get into that uh, scene. But I know that joining a country club in the US is very expensive in most cities around America. Um, and that just isn't the case in in the UK. So, um, so I think it's kind of painted a bit of, you know, the pictures painted a bit unfairly back home. And here, there are a lot of programs that, that encourage people to get into the game. You know, the first tee is a prime example. And um, girls golf on the, on the USGA, LPGA side with encouraging uh, young women to get into the game. And they've been tremendously successful. Um, and then college scholarships are obviously uh, a great, you know, progress through the game, which we don't really have in the UK, but you have here in the US. So uh, I think there are certainly ways to get into the game that are affordable. And I've always felt like, you know, the picture for golf is painted a little bit unfairly. Um, and I, I think it doesn't really, uh, I think the coverage that golf gets is not, it's not as much as it should. Um, certainly back home, maybe a little bit here as well. Interesting point, especially with the scholarships. You yourself, you received a scholarship. Was it a tough decision for you to move to America to attend university at Mercer University in Georgia? And what was your you know, first experience like moving to Georgia? Because that's usually not a spot where people are coming from overseas to, to move to. Yeah, I mean, it was, I, I kind of wanted to do that. I wanted to pursue playing more golf. And um, the only way to do that in, in the warm sunshine was to, to go to somewhere uh, in the US that was, uh, that had pretty good weather in the winter. Georgia is, um, you know, it gets a few chilly days in the winter, but it's, it's pretty good overall. But yeah, and I had the opportunity to, to come across and, um, and take up a scholarship at Mercer. I, um, you know, my, my friend Adam G that I grew up playing golf with, he was a year older than me and he went to UNCW and had success in his first year uh, in college and I wanted to, to do the same and I was offered this scholarship. I, there was a family that, that I'd met on a, on a family vacation and they were from Macon and they offered me the chance to come and stay and see Mercer. And that's how it all kind of worked for me. And um, 
it all came together. And Mercer offered me a scholarship, probably the biggest mistake they've ever made. <laughs> it's my goal for it to take off. But um, <laughs> uh, it, it worked really well for me. And, uh, and then I was sort of thrust into this um, environment that I really didn't know too much about. You know, I didn't know a lot about Southern culture. I didn't know a lot about the history of the South. But people were very, very friendly to me. And um, but it was like it was like walking into kind of another another planet. I remember when I was a freshman um, and one of my first days on the team, I met this this guy, Riley Johnson, who I'm still friends with today. And he's from Valdalia, where, you know, where the onions are from. And he said he said, I'm from Valdalia. And I said, oh, I'm from London. And I said, well, where is Valdalia? And he said, what? You, you don't even know where the onion's from? And I was like, I don't even know where the onion's from. You know? So it was kind of another world. And, um, and a lot of, uh, you know, I met a lot of people who were very, you know, very, very friendly. And I still go back and visit Mercer. And I still am in contact with the family that, that helped me out to, to go over there. So my experience was, was great. But my golf, I, my golf did not... Uh, um, transition well to playing collegiately. I, I, I think you have to be pretty powerful ball striker and a you know pretty powerful player, and that really wasn't that wasn't my game. I was used to playing on the firm and fast summer golf courses in the UK, where you can just dink it down the middle and it goes forever. You you can't do that in Georgia when it's you know wet fairways. You've got to hit a long way, and that didn't work for me at all. Yeah, you were inducted into the Mercy um, the Mercer University Athletic Hall of Fame in two thousand and fifteen. So you must have been pretty good, right? Well, I think that was more because of my broadcast career rather than my golf. Um, well, certainly um, because of my broadcast career. Yeah, I, I, I was, I was quite surprised really that they, um, that they decided to induct me. But um, so you said think, you got the right guy. You are you looking for the guy that uh, is from the place? Yeah, where yeah. Made? <laughs> are you sure? This is the, <laughs> maybe this is the wrong person. Um, maybe it's just because they wanted me to donate more money. I don't know, oh, but. That's usually what it is. They were. They, you get those envelopes in the mail. Uh, you know what they are. And they go. The yearly, the yearly. Uh, very ask. friendly, and um, and and you know, I was, I, I, I really enjoyed my time there, and I, you know, I'm quite proud to represent Mercer now. I still have a Mercer golf bag, actually, that uh, that they gave me, so I use that. But um, yeah, I was inducted into Hall of Fame. Um, and I tried to go back and visit uh, Mercer once a year if I, if I can. And, uh, and you know, they still send me a ballot for the, the new inductees of the Hall of Fame. So any Mercerians out there, you better be nice to me. I can induct you. <laughs> That's great. So be, you said because more of your broadcasting there, you studied media and business. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, uh, what was the process like creating Mercer 99? which is the school's television station. And because of the culture shell shock coming from overseas here, uh, at that stage in your life when you're in college, uh, internships and kind of looking for stuff uh, in that area to kind of transition into. Uh, so talk us through that. Yeah, I mean, my mother worked in television, so I grew up around TV. And when I came across to Mercer, to study, I, I wasn't planning on working in television. I really didn't have a plan. And in fact, I didn't even register for classes until the night before. I had no idea that you had to register. 
because I never went to the orientation. I was like, ah, that, that sounds pretty boring. I'm just going to go and play golf. So I just played golf. It's sort of the two weeks that I was there getting ready for classes. And then the night before the first class, I ran into one of the international advisors on the campus and he said, well, what's, what classes are you going to be taking tomorrow? And I said, well, I, have, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't registered. And he's like, what? You haven't registered? <laughs> so uh so we went and registered for like all the only classes that were remaining at the time which were just horrendous classes at like seven in the morning Oof. and so i you know at the beginning of my time at mercer i almost uh you know flunked out because i just didn't really put my effort into to studying and it wasn't until i realized that i actually needed to get a job that that i really started to knuckle down and work hard and that was about two years into my my university time. I, I got a 1.9 GPA. I probably shouldn't tell people this wow. after my first semester. And I went back home to London and we don't have GPAs there. So my parents said, how did you do? I said, I got a 1.9. Things are going really well. And they were like, <laughs> yeah, it's great. And then a friend of mine also, you know, studying at, in the US and his parents and my parents, you know, got together after I went back. To America to like my second semester or whatever and they then realized that I was not doing as well as I had made out to them so then I got a phone call saying you better get your you know your asking gear but so then after like two years I really needed to figure out what I was going to do and I fell into media um, I actually went to a show for students that was on CNN uh, they took a group of students to CNN in Atlanta, and I went and I asked a question on the show live on CNN, and it really was a major buzz, you know. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. And that was the that was like the spark that ignited uh, wanting to work in television for me. And I think still doing live television still is a buzz even today, having, you know, that was twenty odd years ago that that happened. So, um, and that's when I started getting involved in in figuring out a way to do student media. We really didn't have a television station at Mercer. We didn't really have student media. And myself and a few other students created it. And it went, you know, and it was it was fun, you know, for two, two or so years at, at school, we worked really hard to broadcast different things and cover the sports that were, that were taking place there at Mercer. And that was a, a real baptism by fire, but it it set up my career in TV. And so when I left Mercer, I somehow managed to, to get a job, which was pretty lucky, actually. Somebody would hire me. So, so tell us about your, your first jobs out of college and how did you end up getting the chance to, to be on air? Obviously, many people just start behind the scenes, work their way up. And then tell us about being the first ever CBS 19 you're being CBS 19, you're on the first ever broadcast 2004 in Charlottesville, Virginia as a sports anchor. Yeah, so I, I do a lot of on-air work when I was in college, which helped having, you know, put a resume reel together, which you use in TV to, to get a job. And so I sent out a bunch of those to loads of different stations in America because I had been in America. I, you know, it was tough to go and do that in the UK. We don't really have that sort of local news system in the UK. So it was uh, uh, easier to do that in the US. And, and this station in Charlottesville, Virginia, which was brand new, um, took a chance on me, a guy called Bill Barreca, who was an older gentleman. Um, 
who had been a TV veteran, and he was tasked with starting this TV station in Charlottesville. And at the beginning, it operated out of a trailer in the parking lot. And I went up there, I moved up there. Um, in my, you know, I drove my car up to Charlottesville, Virginia, got this apartment, and they were operating out of a trailer, and homeless people would come in in the middle of the night, like knocking on the door. And one time it caught fire in the middle of the night. I mean, it was, it was a comedy show, you know, starting this channel. But, um, but it started in sort of November of uh, 2004, I think that was. And I was doing sports, which they thought was like a gimmick. In fact, they dressed me up as the Virginia Cavalier and put me on the horse uh, to do this promo. There are some pictures around. I don't know if there's, the, I don't know where the promo is anymore, but there are some pictures. And I, yes, yeah, so I went and did this promo where I dressed as the Virginia Cavalier and sat on the Virginia Cavalier's horse that he rides out uh, into the stadium at the football games. And, and I, you know, I didn't really know anything about what I was doing. I didn't know uh, anything about Virginia sports. Uh, I had to learn about all these different sports that I was covering. And it, it, it was fine when you looked at sort of high school football and high school sports, because a lot of people don't know about these high schools, you know, because unless you're from that area, but when it comes to like, you know, SEC and ACC sports and, uh, you know, it's professional sports in, um, in Washington. And, you know, I, I was a complete novice. I mean, I, I interviewed Bobby Bowden in my, my, my first few months and wow. he was probably, what is this guy? This guy doesn't know what he's talking about, you know? <laughs> um, and so, <laughs> I didn't, I had no yeah. idea. I don't know the guy. I mean, I knew he was, but I didn't, you know, I was like, oh, like how, did, how did you learn American football? I mean, that's obviously, well, I just, you know, I, I probably still don't know that much about it, but I, um, I just sort of knew, I figured out what I needed to know, uh, to get, to get through it. And I, I, we did, I, we did this show for Virginia basketball and, uh, it was like, a, I said, well, let's do a post-game show for Virginia basketball. So we did. And, I just got like two people that I knew in the community that knew everything about Virginia basketball and they were the analysts and I would just set them up and they would talk, so it was fine. And, but it was, it was great fun. But uh, after a year of doing that in a small market, and you know, we had a lot of issues in that. Uh, it, it really was a comedy show. There was a, a green screen weather wall that was a, like a pull down. It was almost like a blind that you pulled down and there was a door behind it. And on one stage during the weather broadcast, a guy walked through the door and like into the weather map. You know, it was things like that. And um, and there, there were crazy stories that I can't repeat in public about uh, what was going on. But it, it was it was wild. And uh, after a year, it was really time for me to to move on. I think the gimmick of having a British guy doing sports in Charlottesville, Virginia, they, that game was up, and it was uh, it was time for me to to move. But it, it was. It was a memorable experience, I'll put it that way. It worked in your favor. And in 2005, you joined Golf Channel in the UK. So how did that opportunity materialize for you? And when the channel seized operations a few years later in 2007, uh, were you worried uh, about what would happen next? Uh, did you think that the US network was going to pick up everything? Or uh, did you kind of get nervous that maybe you had to move back? and you didn't know if you were going to be able to stay home or come, you had to come back to the States. You know, what was your, your mindset like at that time? 
Yeah, so I was I was dating this girl in in Virginia who had worked for the Golf Channel for a year, and she was she said you should go and work for Golf Channel, It'd be a perfect match. And this opportunity came along where I could go down to Orlando and and work on the Golf Channel UK, and I it, you know it worked out. And I I went down to um, to Orlando and I moved down there and started working on on in the Golf Channel UK, doing some production and doing some on air work and pretty quickly full-time on-air work um yeah and then the contract ended with golf channel uk we it was broadcast out of orlando but it was airing in the uk and uh and that contract came to an end with the channel in the uk and there really wasn't that much for me to do but i guess i wasn't making a huge amount of money they were like i will just keep him you know put, give, put him on a couple of different things and they put me on this thing called the fedex market report which was a business report that aired in Gulf Central every night. And it was about 2007, 2008. And every night, the news was horrendous. Like the economy was going through the worst period in the history of the economy in the US, one of the worst periods ever. And I was going on there spreading the terrible news every night, you know, that people's savings were being completely wiped out. And it was just, you know, you're going to lose your home. You're going to lose your savings, but don't worry, we'll be back tomorrow with more FedEx market report. You know, let's go back to the golf. So it was, you know, it was, a, it was, it was pretty insane. And thankfully, after that, um, we, that things kind of worked in my favor because we signed a deal with the LPGA uh, on, on the domestic side in the US. And I had worked on a lot of the LPGA golf that went out in the UK. Um, so I had experience and that, kept me alive because they gave me a, a chance to do that um, and then big break came along pretty shortly after so there was a, a sort of a transition period where i didn't have a huge amount to do apart from the fedex market report but then uh, with the new tour contract there was a lot of energy in the building at that time down in orlando so they must have figured out uh, let the british guy deliver the bad news to, to break yeah put him on like, just let him go out there every night and talk about how much the markets are down today that's just, that's very funny. What was it like for you the first time you got to broadcast the Olympics? Yeah, so I did Rio in 2016. I actually went to Copenhagen. I think it was 2009, I think. Um, I, they, you know, they said, right, you need to go to Copenhagen. We're going to send you over there because golf is, is going to be, they're going to vote at the Olympic Congress on, on whether golf should be um put into the olympics and so i went to copenhagen on my own actually with and i think we used like a local camera guy it was kind of a uh it was a bit of a bare bones operation and and so that was the first foray into the olympics and then seven years later i was part of the broadcast team that did the olympics for the first time in you know 100 years so yeah, that was great i mean it was it was very very different we didn't know what to expect with golf in the Olympics. And one thing that surprised us, which we don't uh, deal with every week, is that there's a race for basically like three different tournaments. You know, the gold medal is one, the silver medal is the other, and the bronze is the other. So, there, you know, it was, it was really exciting. Even if somebody's running away with the gold, there's still the chance right. for a silver and bronze. So that's one thing that we kind of didn't expect. We didn't really know what to expect from the golf course in Rio, and, and it was really, really good. Um, Miguel Hans had done this golf course down there. And, um, and the other thing about that was being down there was you can go to other sports 
you know, if you, if you have this NBC credential for the Olympics, you can just go and watch other sports. And so I remember we went to the final of the, the soccer um, and Neymar, I think, scored a penalty to win in like extra time, uh, in penalties, I think. And, uh, you know, that was just insane for Brazil winning on, on home soil. I went to the cycling, which is really big for, for the British team and the energy in there was awesome. I went to tennis to see Andy Murray. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was incredible. I think some of my colleagues saw um, the swimming uh, world records. They saw Usain Bolt and they saw the, the final of the soccer. I didn't get to see, you know, the other two, but the chance to see other sports is amazing. I think the Olympics is just a, such a celebration of athletes and sport. That was the one big takeaway that I took that how much of a kind of a celebration it was um, rather than, you know, on television, you don't really get that feel unless you're actually there. Yeah. I can't get enough for the Olympics. I think it's absolutely awesome. And it seems very exciting. Hopefully one day, Get to go to one, perhaps we'll cover one. Maybe me and Joe will be in uh, LA for the 28 games. We'll meet up yeah. with you or 2024 yeah. Paris. Maybe we'll figure something out. But yeah, it's just a incredible experience, it seems like that's for sure. And another incredible experience from a spectator's standpoint has to be hosting Big Break. Uh, how did how did that show come to be? And tell us about the Big Break NFL series with. Michelle Tafoya, who was one of our former guests as well. Yeah, so Big Break was kind of a surprise to me at the time. I, I didn't expect them to come to me and, and ask whether I wanted to host, but they had, they were making some changes on the, the talent side of the show. And, uh, you know, they came to me and asked whether I would, would do it. And uh, I said yes. And, yeah, I, I embarked on... 11 seasons of hosting over five years and it's kind of been a big part of my career and a lot of people still remember me for doing that show and we went to a number of places around the world to do it and it was just such a fun group of people you know you forget about all the crew it's about 100 people that worked on the show that traveled on the show and producers and camera guys and audio and grips and uh, lighting and, and uh, makeup and all these different people that, that work on the show um and we you know we just had a, a good time it was hard work like the days were pretty long you would show you would shoot one show per day so at the beginning of the shoot with more contestants on the show the days were a lot longer and i remember when we went to ireland we had this really long day it was so windy and uh it was cold and i got back to the hotel room after like working for 14 hours and thought my gosh, I got to do this for another, you know, 13 days. You know, it's insane. <laughs> um, but yeah, but it was, it was, you know, I, I made a lot of friends on that show and I, um, you know, still run into people in my camera guy that worked with me, a guy called Dan Steele. We called him Steely Dan, obviously. And he works NFL now on, on, I think Fox and CBS. And, um, you know, I still see him when I go to, to do an event where he lives in Southern California, you know, we get together and have food and, you know, because we worked together so many shows out in some random places in the middle of nowhere uh, on a golf course in like, you know, Puerto Rico or whatever. And, um, but Big Break NFL was, was actually, it, it's, it, it's always been something that I think has been tried to, to bring in other athletes. But at the end of the day, golf fans really want to see golfers. So I think Big Break NFL didn't do as well as maybe was expected, but the star power was was high and working with Michelle was 
phenomenal. I mean, she was a, or she is a great, uh, very professional broadcaster. And uh, I learned a lot just from being with her for two weeks and seeing the way that she prepared and seeing the way that she came to the, to the set every day, ready to go and didn't make any mistakes, you know, because we would, we would have scripts that we had to learn and we would then recite the scripts to camera and, and go through these pieces. And oftentimes you'd make a mistake and they'd say, okay, well, let's do it again. Michelle would nail it every time. And uh, I remember the first, the introduction we were on the beach in uh, at the, the resort there um, in Puerto Rico, weren't we? And, um, and she had to give the bios of every single NFL player that was on the show and then introduce them. And they would come down from the villa and stand with their team on the beach. And she did the bios without once looking at the script. And it wasn't like she did them consecutively. We had to stop down and reset. And she would like, you know, take a little peek. And then we would go and she would nail it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to really step up my game for the next two weeks. I mean, <laughs> she's not going to make a mistake. But we had uh, we had an absolute blast. And we really, uh, we had a lot of laughs, a lot of fun. Um, and there was just, it's just a really good camaraderie on that show. It, it, it really, it really was. And, you know, I think it will be, it, you know, there's a chance that it will come back. Uh, there's nothing concrete right now. Um, but I think there's always a chance. And, you know, if the business environment and the commercial aspect is, is right to be able to make the show financially, uh, I think we'll do it. Um, you know, that's not my, my domain, but uh, it's certainly something that's been talked about and uh, it would great, it'd be great if we could do it again. Nick and I totally agree. She was one of the best interviews that we've ever had. So professional, so talented, and somebody we were very fortunate to get early on. So personally, uh, I was never really too much of a golf guy until earlier this year. And I went, my close friend had his bachelor party weekend uh, in Scottsdale, Arizona, for the weekend of the Super Bowl. So we got to see TPC Sawgrass out there, and it was so serene and beautiful. And it was one of the most beautiful courses I've ever seen. And I got spoiled early on. Right. So uh, I'm sure that's one of the courses that uh, you must really, really enjoy. Uh, what are some of your other favorite golf courses? Well, I think where I grew up at Walton Heath in the uh, south of England, we're hosting the AIG Women's Open next year, which is going to be a big deal. Um, we hosted the Ryder Cup in 81. So it's, it's had big events before, but I really enjoy you know, when I'm back home and away from working and playing golf out at Walton Heath. Uh, I think golf in Los Angeles is, is for a major city, kind of underrated in a way. Um, you know, LACC is going to host the US Open next year, so not necessarily too underrated. But when you, I, I just, I really enjoy golf in LA. You know, you, you go and play golf, great, great golf courses, and then you can go out for a wonderful meal in the evening in a really cool city. So I think that is an experience that I, that I really enjoy when I'm in Los Angeles. You've got Mirabiera, you've got Ballet, you've got LACC, you've got Wilshire. I mean, the list is pretty extensive. And I think also Long Island is a, is a perfect place to play golf. Um, <laughs> the golf courses up there are tremendous. Uh, I had a chance to play Friar's Head a few years ago with um, Betsy King's foundation that uh, she does great work for. And I thought playing golf in that area was 
was phenomenal. Um, and I've, you know, I've been a few times to Long Island. It's not an easy place to get to really, Long Island. No, it's the worst. Oh, it's, it's the really worst. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's why it's so oh, great. Oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish the Long Island Railroad on my worst enemy. Yeah, that place, exactly. That stinks. But, um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, I think those two spots would probably be, would be my favorites. I mean, I'm not, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm not a massive Lynx golf guy. Because I'm not a huge fan of playing in crappy weather. You know, I actually like playing in warm sunshine, which is why I go to Florida in the winter. Um, but I think people love like going out, the challenge of Lynx golf and playing, you know, in the cold weather in Scotland and uh, Northern England or wherever. Um, I'm not a huge fan of that. But I, I appreciate the history and I appreciate the shot making that those golf courses need and, uh, you know, how much you need to think about you know, your way around the course, but I'd say LA, uh, Long Island, and then my, my home, my home club would be my favorites. I think if I could play anywhere, I want to go to Hawaii to play. I always like okay. back the scenery. We're going to see that on TV sometimes, but, uh, and then you just get a beautiful, a beautiful trip out of it. That'd be my we're doing a, we're doing a good job of selling it when we go there. Then. That's good. That's yeah. My friends have also been to Augusta and okay. I, obviously there's this pristine, elite tradition surrounding it you know there's the, the whole rules that you have to abide by i mean but they said the place is beautiful you know what i mean so it, it's one of those things where even though like i said i'm not really a huge golf guy it's like my closest friends they love it and you know it's something for the bucket list you know like you want to hit yeah. a couple Joe, of you know where you know where tom should go for the bucket list the south shore country club <laughs> that's where you should hit up next i uh beautiful Staten island new york well, to be fair, Staten Island, they, Our hometown they, a, course. they do have a couple of nice courses here. There's one, the, the South one that Nick just described. Uh, we have one in the central portion of the island, which is like five minutes from where oh, I live. Thanks. And then we have Silver Lake, which is in the North Shore of Staten Island. But Silver Lake is, it's very beautiful. And over there, you get like a very nice view of Manhattan from the elevated uh, perspective on the North Shore. So, Tom, if you're ever on Staten Island, you want to come play, I'll hook you up with my friends. I like that, you know. I I like to be America's guest. I uh, actually do enjoy golf in the New York area. I think it's, I think the New York metropolitan area has some incredible golf courses. You're very very lucky in that part of the world. Yep. Summer only. You don't want to be out there. Uh, no, not in the winter. Not in the winter. <laughs> not in the winter. Definitely not. The coldest I've ever been before I went before I went to the Winter Olympics in China. The coldest I've ever been was walking through Manhattan in January. I just couldn't believe how cold it was. Yeah, imagine me I used to be waiting for uh, the bus to come every January, February, March in the snow. Ooh, so yeah. glad I don't work at Manhattan anymore. That was a nightmare. But <laughs> what are you going to do? That's that's what happens up here. Uh, next question here. Feel free to tiptoe around this one. Don't want you to get in any trouble. You probably know where we're going here. I got to ask you, in your opinion, for the play, the professional players, is live a good thing for them? Well, I think it's a good thing financially for them. Yeah, I mean, they're going to make a lot of <laughs> um, And I think it really depends on the goal of, the, of a professional golfer. I mean, are they, do they want to just make money and be done? Or do they, do they love competing and playing 72 old tournaments? You know, I think that's what it comes down to. I don't think it's great for their golf games. At the moment, the way the way it's structured, I don't think it necessarily gives them uh, a huge amount of motivation to to play well. I mean, obviously financially it should, but if you if you've got guarantees in place and you're playing three round events and you're only playing 15 times a year, 
you would think the golf game isn't going to be as sharp. I think in on on that subject, if the live players are permitted to play in the Masters next year, and we don't know that for sure, but if they are, that will be a real gauge of their games because you know the Open when a lot of the live guys played. They they had they were playing tournament golf. You know they were sharp. They they played already quite a bit this year. So you know that 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 was one thing. I think when you go like a whole year, and then a, an off season, and then you start back, and you then play in the Masters, that will be a, a time where we'll really be able to see whether their games have suffered at all. Um, and so I think it's kind of a two pronged situation for those guys. You know how much do they do they really want to compete? How much do they want to play against the best players in the world? And how much is money of just a, the reason that they're doing their job? You know, if the money is the only reason, then live is, it's great. I mean, there's just, from what we've seen, we've not seen the contract, right? We don't exactly, we don't know 100% what they're getting, but from all the reports, it would appear that they're just walking away with a boatload of cash. And if that's all that matters to them, then, then that's great. But if it isn't, then I don't think it's it, it's a great thing for them. Yeah. Uh, I'm stunned that, you know, Tiger Woods turned down $750 million, perhaps, which is wild. But it's ran by, or, you know, the figurehead is Greg Norman. When you were growing up and you first started playing, I mean, Greg Norman was pretty much, for, for you for, your, for you locally there, he was he was the biggest name. He was it, right? He was, he was someone that all the young golf, golfers aspired to be? Would that be accurate? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think with the 96 Masters of Norman and Faldo going head to head, that was something that stands out in every person in the UK who was into golf at that time. That really stands out. And this meltdown from, yeah. from Norman. And, and it, I mean, it was, it was incredible to watch. It was such drama. And I think, you know, I went as a kid, the first tournament that I went to was the Open at St. George's in 93. And obviously, you know, Norman being there then and seeing him and what a week that was for him. And I think, um, yeah, he was he was an icon of, of the game. And but that 96 Masters with Faldo and, uh, and Norman battling, that was the one that really stands out. And I, you know, Norman has kind of been his own guy for the for his whole career. And he's, you know, he's had his goals of of wanting to do um certain things in the game and that didn't work out. And I think he's always had that in his mind. And now this has given him an opportunity to do that. Um, I think to me it's kind of sad the way that the game's been divided. Um, who knows? It may come back together at some stage. Uh, it doesn't look like it, it in the near term. Um, but Norman is a guy who's, you know, spearheaded the live. And if, you know, that's kind of his thing. I mean, that that is, he's always been a guy that sort of, since he stopped playing, he's wanted to, to do various different things and be successful in business. And obviously to him, this, this looks like a great success. Um, whether it is, I mean, people have their opinions of, of live golf, whether it's successful or not. Um, but I, I, you know, I think if his legacy in the game is is live and we've divided the game of golf, I think that will be sad. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's anything to gain from dividing professional golf in the way that it is right now. Um, and 
Norman as a player didn't win as many majors as he should have won. Mm-hmm. His talent. When you actually look at what he was, the way he played the game, the way he drove the ball, um, you know, how aggressive he was on the golf course. He, his major championships don't correlate to the way he played. I mean, he was, he was a great player. There is absolutely no doubt about it. And, um, and I think the young generation that are watching right now would probably have no idea about that. They see him as this kind of figurehead in the game. Um, but, you know, when you look at what he was, he was a great player. But that rivalry with Faldo, it's, I think it still goes today. You know, I think it's still, yeah. it's still there. But that moment in 96 was, or that afternoon in Augusta was insane to watch, really. Certainly. Uh, definitely very interesting times for sure. If you had the chance to to go back and you could either do one of the following two things. You could have been there, uh, we'll say at the 2000 and uh, we'll, say, we'll say the 2002 Ryder, Ryder Cup where Europe won just because that's kind of a they, they were coming off the loss there and that was a big win and you were, you know, going, getting ready to go to college and really, really into golf there, either be there or have an Arnold Palmer with Arnold Palmer, which one would you choose? <laughs> mm, good question. I mean, I met Arnold Palmer a few times. I didn't have an Arnold Palmer with it, but I did meet him a few times, uh, you know, through golf channel. Um, I think Arnold Palmer, actually, I think, you wow. know, to sit down with the King and to, uh, to pick his brain. Uh, would I want to know all the stories, you know, right? That he probably didn't talk about in public. That's that's what you want to know from Arnold. I mean, yeah, that's what I would, I would pick Arnold. I think, I think that's the but that's a good point. The good, the good one. Uh, how would you say your mini golf game is these days? You know, I haven't played, <laughs> it, but I, do, I haven't played it for a while, but I do have a mini golf course just around the corner from my flat in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've never played it. However, I do have twin godsons, and I think they're seven, and they're just starting to really get into the golf a little bit. So maybe my mini golf future is going to be bright here coming up. Yeah, I'm a pro- you, gotta go, you gotta go easy on them. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but I can't. I mean, it's in my nature. I gotta, I gotta beat them. Yeah, uh, I would say I would say my mini golf game is impeccable. Okay, impeccable. So. I mean, my you know, regular golf game is no good. I can't hit the ball off. But mini golf, you've got it. Yeah. Yeah. We call it crazy golf in the in crazy the UK. golf. All right. The obstacles and stuff makes sense for sure. Well, uh, I mean, Tom, this has been great. We've had a lot of fun. My last question is for you: What in your career, or maybe you want to talk about something with school, or whatever? Would you say is your you know I'm right moment? So what I mean by that is a time where you wanted to do something, you ask somebody for advice. They say, you know what, Tom, I don't think you should do that. That's a bad idea. And you said, you know what, I'm going to do it anyway. And ultimately, you will see why it is that I'm right. I think in the beginning, it would be being on air. I think a lot of people would say, well, you know, that's kind of a dangerous game. You know, it's not going to work out. You should you should do something a bit more solid, like you know, production and be behind the scenes because it's very volatile when you're on air and your career can just you know change or be gone in a second. And I was like, mm, no, I want to follow what I really want. And so that to me would be, uh, you know, I'm right. 
move was to just to, to keep pursuing what, what I really love to do rather than take the safe road. Yes, and uh, I've watched videos of you online before we started this episode. And uh, it, it was really, like I said before, it was a shell shock when you came here. And uh, I guess at first, maybe you kind of felt like a novelty being like the UK guy doing the American sports here. But uh, ultimately, it worked out for you. Uh, you learned the American side of the sports thing. And uh, I think you've had a very ultimately successful career. Uh, and I can't wait to set you up with my friends so you can play golf here since you love the, the tri-state area so much. So hopefully we can do that in the future. Tom, thanks again for doing this with us. We really appreciate it. And what Nick and I do is we always give our guests the last words. So if there's anything else you would like to share, if there's anything else you would like to promote, please, by all means, go right ahead. Uh, again, we appreciate your time and thanks again for doing this with us. Well, I appreciate being on. I thought you were going to say you're going to set me out with your friend and she was really beautiful and single, but um, no. I do I, have, uh, we do have okay, uh, a lot of beautiful single friends. <laughs> maybe, maybe on the, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I think, um, well, I've just been very lucky to to have the career that I've had and to, to have these uh, people that have helped me along the way, you know, and um I always think there are kind of turning points in your life where you think back to, you know, how did I get to this point? And there are these moments where things really changed. And I've had a couple of those moments in my career that have, you know, elevated um, my life in a sense and, and sent me on a new path. And it's, it's been very successful. So, you know, I hope everyone continues to, to enjoy watching our coverage and um i hope i get to keep doing this for a long time you know you never know when the end is coming but um it uh it's been a good run if it all ended tomorrow i'd uh, i feel like i've had a pretty good run all right there you have it that's going to do it here for this episode of you know i'm right for our very special guest tom abbott for my co-host joe calabrese i'm nick durst and this has been you know i'm right mm -hmm.